0: They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Abaldo.
1: I'm Joe McGarry.
2: And I am Emily Carson.
0: And we are here to talk about... Emily's book, Poli, Everything. Yay. Yay! Thank you! Thank you. So you should know this is a repeat conversation, but it's actually a new conversation because Emily was gracious enough to talk with us Right around the time of her book release, and then we were gracious enough to destroy the file accidentally, <laughs> and so uh, we're going to do this again, which is great. But in the meantime, uh, Emily has spoken with Archbishop uh, Jim Hazelwood on his podcast. So if you have not listened to that, I would say you know what—take a break, pause what you're listening to, go over to to uh, the Everyday Spirituality podcast. Uh, Come back, and then uh, we'll pick it right up where you left off. Welcome.
2: Great (laughs) advice. Yes, thanks for the opportunity to come and chat with you To again. I really treasured our first conversation. I'm sad that it's lost forever, but I'll hold those memories close to my heart, and I'm glad that we get to to chat again. Yeah, Yeah, have fun.
1: Great. See, we had, I enjoyed our conversation oh, so much last time that I just de- intentionally destroyed that. Right. So we could have an excuse <laughs> to talk it's again. It's all yeah. a
0: big ploy to bring it back. So here very we go. Tricky. And then you're off to the right start. So Emily, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself in case people are not going to hit pause and go listen to the other podcasts to come back so they can just have a little bit of an introduction to you and then we can hop right into it.
2: That sounds great. My name is Emily Carson. I am a Lutheran pastor. I live in Rochester, Minnesota, and my current call is as assistant to the bishop in the Southeastern Minnesota Synod with Bishop Regina Hassanelli, and I also serve as our synod's DEM, which is Director for Evangelical Mission, and I love to write and hike and go on adventures with my husband Justin and our dog Finn, And I am delighted to have the opportunity to talk about my book, which is called Holy Everything.
1: Great. and So let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. So this book um, came from the premise of uh, time when you spent and you still do this writing for uh, the newspaper. And and, uh, can you talk a little bit about that and the inspiration behind the book?
2: Sure. I started a blog actually in 2008. So I was just about done with seminary. And that blog was called Diaries of a Pastoral Fashionista. at the time I was very into fashion and thrifting. And so there was a columnist at the time at the Rochester Post Bulletin who featured that blog in the paper, and then that ended up leading to a conversation with an editor at the Post Bulletin who thought, hey, I think this could be a weekly column. So since about 2010, I've been writing a weekly column for the Rochester Post Bulletin. It used to be called The Lady Pastor. Uh, And then for the last five years or so, it has been renamed uh, Holy Everything. And so I have the opportunity to write every Saturday for about 40,000 Post Bulletin subscribers. And the Post Bulletin has really graciously given me space to write about everything. And so the book is a reflection of that. Uh, I can write about nature, creation, spirituality, Jesus, psychology, psychology. Hope, forgiveness, all those different themes, and it continues to be one of my highlights of the week. Every single week, I can't believe I get to do it. It's a huge privilege, and uh, it's one of the few tasks I never complain about.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, that's great.
0: So uh, we have a mutual friend, Brian Scott, who's been on the podcast a couple of times and uh, helped you put the book together in the editing formats. Right? I mean, he kind of helped you group group things.
2: Brian did a lot behind the scenes. In fact, he re-edited every column, and the content is much stronger than it was in its prior format. Brian, yeah, like you said, he's my editor, and he's been a huge joy to work with, great advocate and encourager, and it never would have happened without his, his
0: accompaniment. Great. So we thought we could spend a little time today on the podcast just... To- lifting up a few of your entries into this book. So you've got it arranged into a number of categories and then uh, therein you've got a number of columns. So uh, we asked you ahead of time if there were a few you'd wanted to talk about specifically. So we've all kind of worked on that in the meantime. So where would you like to dig in first?
2: Well, I thought it would be fun to explore some of the columns from several of the different sections so that listeners could get a sense of the type of content in the book. And I'll just say, a neat way that I've heard of some folks using the book is for, especially pastors, they're using it as council devotions or as meeting devotions. And the book also has an accompanying discussion guide. So for every essay, there's also a couple discussion questions. So I thought we could explore some of the... Some of the columns, some of the essays in the book tend to be more personal about life and faith and my family. And then some are more like, what is church and what is the liturgy and what is Holy Communion? So um, I'm open to going in any order. Was there anything that piqued your interest for the two of you or that you would love to hear more about or the background behind?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I uh, that really struck me when I read, you know, some of the entries that you sent is uh, anniversaries of loss. That really struck me because I have some anniversaries of loss in my life. And then also as we uh, finish out 2019 to to, to to go into 2020 here, I have seen um, some posts of mixed variety on, on Facebook of people who are thankful that 2019 is over and ready to move into 2020 people who uh, like myself, I like to make goals and resolutions who, who say, this is great. Other people say, this is not so great. You shouldn't be doing this. You just be happy with who you are. But I'd like to talk a little bit more about that entry and, and kind of where that came from on, on you when you, when you put that piece together and, and just some of your perspectives on, on anniversaries of loss.
2: Yeah, that uh, reflection came similar to you, Joe, just out of my own experience of having an anniversary of loss that isn't necessarily something that I talk about a lot, um, but it's something I experience every year. And thinking about how do we equip people to acknowledge anniversaries of loss in ways that are meaningful to them, whether they share it with others or whether they just give themselves permission mm-hmm. to acknowledge the loss and the grief and the feelings around it. And I mentioned in the essay, social media is a place of great joy a lot of times where we can celebrate, especially birthdays and anniversaries. And it, it is awesome to have those outlets But there aren't necessarily as many outlets to process annually reoccurring days that are tough. Um, So in the column, I just give a little bit of guidance about how to be graceful with ourselves. And the first piece of it is just about acknowledging that it's a real thing that a loss has occurred and that we remember it. Whether we always remember it on the exact day or a particular time of year, or like you said, the holidays can be a space in which a lot of those emotions come up. Acknowledging those emotions is really impactful, I think. And being graceful with ourselves. Self-compassion is really my jam lately. I mean, I just think yeah. that it's, it's life-changing. I think it is. for pastors, it's critical that we extend ourselves self-compassion. It really impacts ministry and the way that we interact with the rest of the world.
1: Say what you mean about self-compassion. Say if someone is confused by that term.
2: Yeah. Self-compassion is about being as graceful, loving, kind with yourself as you would tend to be with another person. And that isn't always, that isn't always easy to do. And no, especially right. paying attention to... The stories that we're telling ourselves, just pausing and asking ourselves, what story am I telling myself at this moment? And is this really helping me? Is this serving me well? And around anniversaries of loss, sometimes we're saying to ourselves, like, "Uh, nobody else even remembered this. Why am I even worried about this? Why is this coming up for me? But instead to say to ourselves yeah, it's really normal that this loss would affect me and that it would continue to affect me. And that is just means that I'm a normal human. So I'm going to be really yeah. kind to myself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you also mentioned in there about not going it alone, but, I mean, there's a, there's a communal factor to living through these things.
2: Yes. And finding and identifying those core connections who are people that we can really be vulnerable with. And I think for a lot of us, we get into adulthood and we're still figuring out who those core connections are. Like, who is my yep. network, who I will really trust with real stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we're, when we're dealing with loss and anniversaries of loss, it's really important to have those core connections um, that we're willing to be vulnerable with. And then the, the final part of the essay talks about finding the gifts within it. And I say really concretely, like, if it's not the right time to be mining that experience for the gifts and treasures, that's fine. Sometimes I have this inclination that I immediately need to find the silver lining in every loss or the lesson in every challenge. And uh, it's really okay if there's a good chunk of time before we do that work of finding the gifts. But sometimes we're amazed at where we find them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How about for and, you? Two? And how do you how do you acknowledge anniversaries of loss, or with the people that you serve?
1: It is not something that I think I commonly practice. When something comes up, say in social media, and I'm re- reminded about a particular loss, uh, you know, just an example, we had a, a dog for. Eight or nine years, who died a couple of years ago, and and I did make a post on Facebook of our last day together and stuff that we did with her together. And I mean, still, still for our family, painful. It was my kid's first dog that they you know fell in love with, and she was a great dog. And and when that comes up in, in social media, I take time to think about her and the time that we spent with her. But uh, also, you know, I I do grieve a little bit, and I don't think that the grieving aspect may never go away. And I don't think when you, when you have an anniversary of a loss, perhaps the point of it is, isn't just to make the grief go away, but to live into it. And then, like you said, I think I like that last part, noticing the gifts uh, You know, on the anniversary, instead of saying, this is terrible, I'm so sad. But the question that I like to ask myself is, what does this make possible? Yeah. Uh, well, this makes possible the idea of remembering this, uh, talking with, you know, the kids about it and, you know, seeing kind of where they are at and, and then just going on from there and, and, re- and recognizing it rather than ignoring it.
0: Yeah, I like that uh, self-compassion piece. I'm mulling that over a little bit more because so I, I think, I don't know, I think often as doing the jobs that we do, you're kind of in a position where you're kind of strong for everybody else. Like you should be. And actually being able to grieve too it is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then there's sometimes you're doing like this happened to me recently, um, in the way that it, it hadn't before, is uh there was a funeral this summer and I was actually really close to the person and I broke down in the middle of the funeral and I usually am not that way at all. Usually it's like I kinda suck it up and then grieve after it's over because I've I've done the work, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, that was just a real human moment. And it, um, I mean, you can't replicate it or, or think about it or, or try to do it. It was just one of those that just happened because it was real. And um, I don't know, made for a nice moment as the congregation. I think, too, just being able to uh, to grieve. It's weird because we're private people and we're public people. Sometimes going through those things in a public way is a little, you never want it to seem uh, like your, your plan and angle or anything, but you know, if you can kind of do it honestly and openly and try to model how to go about this, even in your uncertainty and everything else, um, or or just the raw emotions of it. I don't know. I I hope that's helpful to other people. Absolutely. I don't know. Maybe to piggyback on that, just to switch over, uh, I like the one with He-Man and strength. What is strength and weakness, and how do we model that? And what is the image of it out there? I think the entry was more with mu- more than muscles. Is that the name of the particular chapter?
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I'm currently in the process actually of recording the audiobook. Um, oh, fun. So I just reread these, and this one jumped out at me because it sort of feels like it's, it makes just as much sense today as it did whatever, four years ago when I had originally written it, and I think this topic of strength and what does strength look like, sound like, act like, is a really important collective conversation to be having. For me, I think about, well, where is my greatest sphere of influence? Where can I be provoking this kind of conversation and it's in the church world. And I, I hope that this conversation about strength is happening everywhere. It, it's not just important politically in terms of who we elect, but it really has a lot to do with how we, what our education system looks like and how we run a council meeting and how we do life together. And the there are so many cultural stereotypes around strength
1: yep. that
2: even if we know yep. they're ridiculous, they're so pervasive right?
0: Well, I, we were talking before we re- had recorded. I mean, I, I kind of went through something recently where I really, I screwed something up. I messed it up. And the, the culture teaches you, well, that's on them. They should just suck it up and deal. And, you know, I'm in charge, so whatever. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of the way the culture teaches us how ta- to ta- ta- be. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's stronger to actually have some humility and ask for forgiveness and uh, just say, look, I I'm owning what I did wrong here and can we work on mending the fences here and figure it out? But that's portrayed out anywhere else. I mean, that's, I think that's a unique gift we have as people of faith. Right.
2: Like an apology, a sincere apology takes so much strength.
0: Oh, and it's exhausting.
2: And so much groundedness, <laughs> and an ability to say. You want to get nice the
0: person to, to respond,
2: yeah. Because <laughs> it's so much easier to be defensive? Yeah. And our brains Defensive
1: or ignore somewhere it
0: somewhere else, you know? Just this... yeah, yeah. Sorry.
2: yeah. I think, and I think, sharing the microphone takes a lot of strength, which I love that you guys do this so intentionally. You intentionally share your platform. You share the microphone, literally. And metaphorically, yep. and that to me takes that's strength. So thanks for modeling that through your podcast.
0: Well, we like to learn from good people. That's why we invited you on the second time.
2: <laughs> and then also in the in the essay, it talks about Jesus as an example of strength and some of the different qualities that he has. Which I feel like this this one would be a neat one to talk about with a church council. And it really would take like less than five minutes to read it together and then talk with your council members about the stories they hold about what is strength? What does it look like? What does it act like? You know, as a church council, how do we want to show strength to our congregation? What is, how does compromise?
1: Yeah. you never talk about that. Oh, geez. Right. Right.
2: Right and listening the strength and the discipline that it takes to listen to actually listen to other people i very rarely is that lifted up as strength but i think the capacity to sincerely listen is such an important quality to
0: encourage especially when it seems like most people feel like they're not heard absolutely yeah
1: yeah another one that i really connected with was the year one where you and your husband are writing back to each other, reflecting on your first year of marriage. And uh, one of the things that Jeff and I were talking about is uh, we weren't sure how long ago was that started and, and where you are, where are you at? What's the up from, from that? Are you still doing something like that? You know, where, where has that gone?
2: Yeah, so Justin and I got married in August of 2017. So we celebrated our second anniversary, I don't know, four or five months ago. And Congrats. this is this is a funny real-life story. So I just mentioned that I've been recording the audiobook. And so Justin and I are had a little um, tisk, and right afterward, I went downstairs to record Continue recording the audiobook. And of course, this is the chapter that I needed (laughs) to read into the microphone. And I just thought, God, you are so hilarious.
1: And then uh, it
2: it was such a good reminder, you know, of of marriage, like the joys of it and the challenges of it. And so then rereading these lessons from year one. It's still very helpful in year three.
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs>
2: we are still keeping the shared journal that my friend Pastor Russ Rudolph uh, encouraged cool. us to keep, and so much of this remains to be uh, remains lessons that guide our relationship together. And he is so much more relaxed than I am, and it's really funny talking about New Year's resolutions. Um, Justin could not be less interested in resolutions (laughs) and goal setting and because he's just a lot more realistic about everything and it is so grounding to me like in the past I would buy all these new goal setting programs to live my best life ever and now with each year of our relationship I feel myself just grounding in who I actually am. And letting that be enough and not this perpetual achievement and striving. And yeah, it's fun. It's fun to learn lessons from your partner, right?
0: Yeah. Not just from your partner,
2: but with your partner.
0: Yeah. 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 The saying in our house is just remember we're on the same team.
2: Same team. Yeah. And
0: uh, we've been trying, you know, we teach that to our kids too. And it works sometimes.
1: It's good.
2: Yes. (laughs) And laughing. That's one of the lessons that I learned in year one to laugh a lot. That remains so helpful.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell me about Lake Superior.
2: Yeah, some of the essays in the book are about nature and my favorite places in nature. And Lake Superior is my second favorite place on Earth. My first favorite is Alaska. My second favorite is Lake Superior. And prior to moving to Minnesota in 2009, I had not spent time on Lake Superior. And it continues to be a place that is so mystical to me. So the essay in the book... Uh, is more about the personification of Lake Superior Mm. as if she is her own being with her own wisdom and personality. And there are so many lessons in creation, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Yes.
2: I just heard this coolest study about awe, the sensation of awe, Mm A-W-E, that um, they've done brain scans on people who are, like, reading a report or reading a book versus being in creation. And when a human is experiencing awe all the parts of their brain that worry and micromanage and fixate um, stop and
0: resting Wow
2: that's how I feel at Lake Superior like all of that noise stops cool. and I can just be yeah
0: so I live a mile away from um, Long Island Sound so we're by the beach a lot so we see <gasps> water in all of its forms with the tide and everything
2: cool and,
0: um, it's a it's one of those things where we say, you know, when you're having a bad day, just go to the water. And uh, if you can see the water in a day, your day is not that bad. And
2: there is something really, that is really, really um, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
2: How about for you, Joe?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I love nature. I love getting out. You know, I, I'm an Eagle Scout, so I spend a lot of time in my youth uh, outside, hiking, camping, that sort of thing. And uh, there is something about it that kind of eats away at me when I'm not experiencing it enough. You know, I, I have that urge just to be out and uh, to connect with nature, connect with God in that way. And feeling that way a little bit right now, because uh, it has, you know, with the winter and just not being outside as much. But this weekend, my church is going up with some other churches for our Ford Leadership Retreat, which is up at one of my favorite places at Camp Calumet in New Hampshire. And imagining going down to the lake for a little bit not to swim but just to be surrounded by that and and being by the water i'm really looking forward to it so
0: there's something primal about water i don't know what it is but it just seems like you connect in such a different way to everything else when you're in the presence of a large body of water i don't don't know why that is but it, I've always felt that way. I mean when I went to college I lived uh, in Kenosha Wisconsin right on the shore of Lake Michigan so we could see Lake Michigan and all its different it's I'm sure very similar it's different than Lake Superior and the Sound obviously but um, you know it had its own uniqueness especially the way the cloud patterns were a certain way or the sun came through in a certain way the the water looked different colors and had different movements to it even though it was the same thing you looked at every day it was, it was different every day mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, i don't know being close to the ocean it, i see that a lot uh, just it's uh, there's something very i don't know if it's it's because it's humbling and i use the word huge water you got in there but the your problems don't seem so big maybe that's what it is perspective, perspective, perspective. Yeah, yeah yeah and you can
1: see so far and, and, and I think for a lot of us we have this connection with some sort of place but if you don't have a connection with some sort of place you know I would suggest trying to find a camp or a body water near you because it's never too late to find that connection and, and to experience something like this uh, another place that that my family is connected to is Silver Bay um, it's on Lake George in New York and they they have opportunities for pastors and their families to have respites there and and my family's taken advantage of that a couple of times and uh that's another place that I just feel connected to it's on on a body of water and it's not something that I grew up with it's not a place that has a lot of memories from my youth or growing up or family it's just, it's, it's something where my immediate family can go to my wife and kids and that uh, we go to every year just to take some time and be together so so it's never too late to to find a place yeah. like that and connect with it
2: that's great
0: advice. Yeah, we're big national park people, so we, we've been to a lot of them. But, you know, I grew up outside of Chicago in Illinois where it's flat, and the flat parts are flatter than the other parts. But just to be in the presence of mountains and trees, mm-hmm. just green everywhere, it's mm-hmm. the environment we create for ourselves. All awe-inspiring, to use your word, um, about it. It's, it's a good and godly thing, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So you ha- you've had the book out for a little while now and, and you say you're working on the audiobook, There's a reflection component to it. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and some of the things that you are looking forward to doing with, with what you have created in 2020. Yeah.
2: So the book now has a discussion guide. Like I mentioned, there are two or three discussion questions for every essay in the book. And my intention for 2020 is to do one event every month with the book. So like next month, I'm going up to a congregation in St. Paul and doing an adult education hour where we talk about encountering the sacred in daily life. And then um, related to that, then I'll tell people about the book. But it's... um, It's been so fun, fun to go to local bookstores and share the book there. And it's been intriguing to learn about the publishing industry and how it all works and how books get into people's hands and how books get into libraries. Um, So my hope is to share the book in many and various ways, however I can. And if it can bring something good into people's lives, then that's the best gift ever.
1: So if someone wants to host you for an event, How would they go about uh, doing that and arranging that?
2: Yes. So my website is emilyanncarson.com, and with an E, E -E, E-M-I-L-Y-A-N-N-E, Carson.com. And my contact information is there. Um, Sometimes when groups have used this book for book club, I just record a little audio or a video greeting for their book club to use. Um, and I would be glad to do that. And I would also be glad to personalize any book for anyone. So all the information about how to do that is on the website. And then I also have a blog, which is holyeverything.com. So I would love to hear from listeners
0: um, in, through email.
2: My email is emily.carson at gmail.com.
0: And in the meantime, you keep writing, right?
2: I keep writing, yeah, you can read the column in the Post Bulletin every Saturday and hope to find... Oh, yeah, another thing, um, There, the ELCA has a resource called Cafe Magazine, Bold Cafe, and it's a digital magazine, and I got to write the December edition of that, so folks could oh, check fine. that out. Yeah, It's fun to share, fun to reflect.
0: You have, have you had a... Um unexpected reaction to some of your stuff? I mean, I know there's there's stuff sometimes you put out there provocative on purpose or reflective on purpose or, you know, I mean, I we've all done some writing, not to your extent, obviously, but some of you are like, wow, I did not anticipate someone reacting to that that particular way. Uh, got any stories like yeah.
2: that? I do have those.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, my goal for the future is to become more provocative in my writing. I think... I think sometimes to myself, what would I write if I wasn't afraid? Mm -hmm. I've been thinking that has come to my mind so often lately. Do you guys ever feel that way about writing and preaching?
0: What would I say Mm -hmm. if I wasn't
2: afraid? Because I I feel so compelled to explore different topics and ideas, and I feel myself shrink back down or edit, 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 delete, delete, delete. delete. Uh, So... I have this particular sensation that overcomes me when I'm really tapping into truth, like to something real. And I think it happens with preaching too. You feel it. And my hope is to lean more into it rather than, and so the columns that have tended to provoke thoughts, perspectives, anger, whatever, um, I think I'm building up a stronger tolerance to it. And if it creates an emotion for someone or they have a response, that's great. Um, I would say, let's see, the most recent one was probably like a week or two ago. Oh, I wrote a column for the paper about the nativity, about Jesus. And the person's critique of it was that it did not incorporate enough about salvation and that Jesus died for our sins kind of a thing. And I would say that aspect of theology, like that interpretation of Jesus is not Mm -hmm. something that resonates as much for me. And so and the email email that they sent didn't have didn't have a greeting. There was nothing like, hi, how are you? It was just like critique, critique, critique. And so I thought about it and kind of chewed on that for a while. Should I even respond? And then I decided to respond and to say, you know, dear so-and-so. Hi, my name is Emily Carson. I don't think we've ever met. I am a pastor and a writer, and I'm about to put up the Christmas tree with my husband, Justin. I hope that you two have had a really good Christmas season. Uh, thanks for sharing your perspectives. It sounds like you have strong opinions, and I hope that you find an outlet to share them. Uh, you know, I, I really think that we can, even when I get feedback that's angry or critical, I still think that we can teach each other how to have respectful dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And I'm learning that disagreeing or tension is so crucial to change. Like, we all change through actually leaning into tension, not away from it. So I hope my writing can get a lot more bold. And I get—I hope I get a lot less. I hope I figure out what to do with fear.
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's interesting too, yeah. yeah. It's interesting too to get some of that feedback. Um, I had a column for a while, my last column for, for the local newspaper, and I remember one. I I got this. Um, it was an anonymous letter. It was just left in the church mailbox, and uh-huh. it just really tore me down because of. It, it wasn't political in nature, but there was a. It was thanking. It was when Obama. Left the presidency, and I just thanked Obama for um, the work that he did, and it wasn't anything bad about, you know, Trump or anything like that, but it just tore me up for for just thanking him. It wasn't, you know, pro-political or anything like that, and yeah, I think when you get something like that, it can sting for a little bit, but you, you kind of need to build up a tolerance for that and just pray for the other person. And, and sometimes it would be nice to have dialogue, like you said, you know, deciding to engage in conversation and not tear down somebody else. But, um, it'd be interesting to, to see if that person ever responds to you again and, and how that would go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get better at just releasing it. Just let it go. Cause those kind of things can consume, like we were talking about before we started recording, some things unnecessarily get to have so much of our brain and emotional space.
0: Right. And yeah. we
2: have a finite amount. So I really, part of my work lately is just figuring out what am I going to extend brain space and heart space to and just reclaim some agency there. Like I don't need to just follow whatever rabbit hole my brain takes me down. Do you know what I mean?
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, this, this author I know wrote these words. Yeah, what was it? It was uh Emily, you don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to be <laughs> anything other than who you are. I know that there must be at least some hurt behind these life experiences, and that's okay. I have no expectations for you. I cried for two days. Those words were awesome. Thank you.
2: Thank you for quoting from the column. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be ourselves.
0: Yeah. To be ourselves. Oh, so critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, all of it is kind of about that, right? Just to be genuine in who we are in all of these experiences. I mean, people look to us. I mean, you've got those other pieces that you wrote about, too, about not being answer people, but helping guide people with their questions. I think that's so yeah. helpful.
2: I think Cultivating Curiosity, I love yeah, any opportunity yeah. to do that.
0: And to do it genuinely and with some dignity is huge. How I many people respond to that?
2: Yes, thank you both for the opportunity to talk about Holy Everything and to talk about life. Thanks. Thanks for the work that you're doing through this podcast.
0: I'm excited to read more Holy Everything.
2: Well, I hope there's another <laughs> book, whatever it might be. Right. Brian editor mentioned that last month. He's like, are you ready for book two? What are you thinking about? Mm, I don't know. What's the Holy Spirit up to next?
1: Right. Wow, that's awesome. Nice. We'll anticipate joyfully. Yeah. And thank you for being gracious and coming back onto the podcast and recording with us again. And so we are the two bald pastors helping you connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry.
2: And I'm Emily Carson.
0: And I'm Jeff Senebaldo.
1: And if you want to learn more about our podcast and what we are doing in 2020, you can go to our website, twobaldpastors.com, and find out some more information there. And we hope that you continue to connect with the podcast, but also connect with Emily and go out and get her book. We'll have some links to buy her book on uh, the website. So you can go there and purchase a book and, and utilize it not only in your personal life, but also uh, in your ministry. Find ways to incorporate it in there.
0: And for those of you just coming back from uh, Jim Hazelwood's podcast, you missed a great conversation. You can rewind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 but thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed week. Take care now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith. Bob Pastor